0: Psalm 78 of The Treasury of David This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Marianne. The Treasury of David, Volume 3, by Charles Spurgeon. Psalm 78, Part 1 Title Maskell of Asaph This is rightly entitled an instructive psalm. It is not a mere recapitulation of important events in israelitish history but is intended to be viewed as a parable setting forth the conduct and experience of believers in all ages it is a singular proof of the obtuseness of mind of many professors that they will object to sermons and expositions upon the historical parts of scripture as if they contained no instruction in spiritual matters were such persons truly enlightened by the spirit of god they would perceive that all scripture is profitable and would blush at their own folly in undervaluing any portion of the inspired volume division the unity is well maintained throughout, but for the sake of the reader's convenience, we may note that verses one to eight may be viewed as a preface setting forth the psalmist's object in the epic which he is composing from nine to forty one the theme is israel in the wilderness then intervenes an account of the lord's preceding goodness towards his people in bringing them out of Egypt by plagues and wonders, 42-52. to 52. The history of the tribes is resumed at verse 53, and continue to verse 66, where we reach the time of the removal of the ark to Zion, and the transference of the leadership of Israel from Ephraim to Judah, which is rehearsed in song from verses 67-72. to 72. Exposition Verses 1-8 to 8. Give ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable, I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength, and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel. Which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in god and not forget the works of god but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with god verse 1 give ear o my people to my law the inspired bard calls on his countrymen to give heed to his patriotic teaching we naturally expect god's chosen nation to be first in hearkening to his voice when god gives his truth a tongue and sends forth his messengers trained to declare his word with power it is the least we can do to give them our ears and the earnest obedience of our heart shall god speak and his children refuse to hear his teaching has the force of law let us yield both ear and heart to it incline your ears to the words of my mouth give earnest attention bow your stiff necks lean forward to catch every syllable we are at this day as readers of the sacred records bound to study them deeply exploring their meaning and labouring to practise their teaching as the officer of an army commences his drill by calling for attention even so every trained soldier of Christ is called upon to give ear to his words. Men lend their ears to music. How much more should they listen to the harmonies of the gospel? They sit enthralled in the presence of an orator. How much rather should they yield to the eloquence of heaven. Verse two I will open my mouth in a parable. Analogies are not only to be imagined, but are intended by God to be traced between the story of Israel and the lives of believers israel was ordained to be a type the tribes and their marchings are living allegories traced by the hand of an all-wise providence unspiritual persons may sneer about fancies and mysticisms but paul spake well when he said which things are an allegory and asaph in the present case spake to the point when he called his narrative a parable that such was his meaning is clear from the quotation all these things spake jesus unto the multitude in parables and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world, Matthew chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. I will utter dark sayings of old, enigmas of antiquity, riddles of yore. The mind of the poet prophet was so full of ancient lore that he poured it forth in a copious stream of song, while beneath the gushing flood lay pearls and gems of spiritual truth, capable of enriching those who could dive into the depths and bring them up. The letter of this song is precious, but the inner sense is beyond all price. Whereas the first verse called for attention, the second justifies the demand by hinting that the outer sense conceals an inner and hidden meaning which only the thoughtful will be able to perceive. Verse 3 which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us tradition was of the utmost service to the people of god in the olden time before the more sure word of prophecy had become complete and generally accessible the receipt of truth from the lips of others lay the instructed believer under solemn obligation to pass on the truth to the next generation truth endeared to us by its fond associations with godly parents and venerable friends deserves of us our best exertions to preserve and propagate it. Our fathers told us, we heard them, and we know personally what they taught. It remains for us in our turn to hand it on. Blessed be God, we have now the less mutable testimony of written revelation, but this by no means lessens our obligation to instruct our children in divine truth by word of mouth. Rather, with such a gracious help, we ought to teach them far more fully the things of God dr doddridge owed much to the dutch tiles and his mother's explanations of the bible narratives the more of parental teaching the better ministers and sabbath school teachers were never meant to be substitutes for mother's tears and father's prayers verse four we will not hide them from their children our negligent silence should not deprive our own and our father's offspring of the precious truth of god it would be shameful indeed if we did so showing the generation to come the praises of the lord we will look forward to future generations and endeavour to provide for their godly education it is the duty of the church of god to maintain in fullest vigour every agency intended for the religious education of the young to them we must look for the church of the future and as we sow towards them so shall we reap children are to be taught to magnify the lord they ought to be well informed as to his wonderful doings in ages past and should be made to know his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. The best education is education in the best things. The first lesson for a child should be concerning his mother's God. Teach him what you will. If he learn not the fear of the Lord, he will perish for lack of knowledge. Grammar is but poor food for the soul, if it be not flavoured with grace. Every satchel should have a Bible in it. The world may teach secular knowledge alone tis all she has a heart to know but the church must not deal so with her offspring she should look well to every timothy and see to it that from a child he knows the holy scriptures around the fireside fathers should repeat not only the bible records but the deeds of the martyrs and reformers and moreover the dealings of the lord with themselves both in providence and grace we dare not follow the vain and vicious traditions of the apostate church of rome Neither would we compare the fallible record of the best human memories with the infallible written word. Yet we would fain see oral tradition practiced by every Christian in his family, and children taught cheerfully by word of mouth by their own mothers and fathers, as well as by the printed page of what they too often regard as dull, dry task-books. What happy hours and pleasant evenings have children had at their parents' knees as they have listened to some sweet story of old? reader if you have children mind you do not fail in this duty verse five for he established a testimony in jacob the favoured nation existed for the very purpose of maintaining god's truth in the midst of surrounding idolatry theirs were the oracles they were the conservators and guardians of the truth and appointed a law in israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children THE TESTIMONY FOR THE TRUE GOD WAS TO BE TRANSMITTED FROM GENERATION TO GENERATION BY THE CAREFUL INSTRUCTION OF SUCCEEDING FAMILIES. WE HAVE THE COMMAND FOR THIS ORAL TRANSMISSION VERY FREQUENTLY GIVEN IN THE Pentateuch, AND IT MAY SUFFICE TO QUOTE ONE INSTANCE FROM DEUTERONOMY CHAPTER 6, VERSE 7, AND THOU SHALT TEACH THEM DILIGENTLY UNTO THY CHILDREN, AND SHALT TALK OF THEM WHEN THOU SITTEST IN THINE HOUSE, AND WHEN THOU WALKEST BY THE WAY, AND WHEN THOU LIEST DOWN, AND WHEN THOU risest UP. READER, IF YOU ARE A PARENT, HAVE YOU CONSCIENTIOUSLY DISCHARGED THIS DUTY? VERSE 6 THAT THE GENERATION TO COME MIGHT KNOW THEM, EVEN THE CHILDREN WHICH SHOULD BE BORN. AS FAR ON AS OUR BRIEF LIFE ALLOWS US TO ARRANGE, WE MUST INDUSTRIOUSLY PROVIDE FOR THE GODLY NURTURE OF YOUTH. THE NARRATIVES, COMMANDS, AND DOCTRINES OF THE WORD OF GOD ARE NOT WORN OUT. THEY ARE CALCULATED TO EXERT AN INFLUENCE AS LONG AS OUR RACE SHALL EXIST who should arise and declare them to their children. The one object aimed at is transmission. The testimony is only given that it may be passed on to succeeding generations. Verse 7. That they may set their hope in God. Faith cometh by hearing. Those who know the name of the Lord will set their hope in Him, and that they may be led to do so is the main end of all spiritual teaching. And not forget the works of God. Grace cures bad memories those who soon forget the merciful works of the lord have need of teaching they require to learn the divine art of holy memory but keep his commandments those who forget god's works are sure to fail in their own he who does not keep god's love in memory is not likely to remember his law the design of teaching is practical holiness towards god is the end we aim at and not the filling of the head with speculative notions Verse eight, And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. There was room for improvement. Fathers stubborn in their own way, and rebellious against God's way, are sorry examples for their children, and it is earnestly desired that better instruction may bring forth a better race. It is common in some regions for men to count their family custom as the very best rule, but disobedience is not to be excused because it is hereditary. The leprosy was nonetheless loathsome, because it had been long in the family. If our fathers were rebellious, we must be better than they were, or else we shall perish as they did. A generation that set not their heart aright. They had no decision for righteousness and truth. In them there was no preparedness or willingness of heart to entertain the Saviour. Neither judgments nor mercies could bind their affections to their God. They were fickle as the winds, and changeful as the waves. And whose spirit was not steadfast with god the tribes in the wilderness were constant only in their inconstancy there was no depending upon them it was indeed needful that their descendants should be warned so that they might not blindly imitate them how blessed would it be if each age improved upon its predecessor but alas it is to be feared that decline is more general than progress and too often the heirs of true saints are far more rebellious than even their fathers were in their unregeneracy may the reading of this patriotic and divine song move many to labor after the elevation of themselves and their posterity verses 9 to 41 the children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle they kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works, and his wonders that he had showed them. Marvellous things did he in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea, and caused them to pass through, and he made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness, and gave them drink as out of the great depths. HE BROUGHT STREAMS ALSO OUT OF THE ROCK, AND CAUSED WATERS TO RUN DOWN LIKE RIVERS. AND THEY SINNED YET MORE AGAINST HIM BY PROVOKING THE MOST HIGH IN THE WILDERNESS. AND THEY TEMPTED GOD IN THEIR HEART BY ASKING MEAT FOR THEIR LUST. YEA, THEY SPAKE AGAINST GOD. THEY SAID, CAN GOD FURNISH A TABLE IN THE WILDERNESS? BEHOLD, HE SMOTE THE ROCK, THAT THE WATERS GUSHED OUT, AND THE STREAMS OVERFLOWED. CAN HE GIVE BREAD ALSO? can he provide flesh for his people therefore the lord heard this and was wroth so a fire was kindled against jacob and anger also came up against israel because they believed not in god and trusted not in his salvation though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them of the corn of heaven man did eat angels food he sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their inhabitations. So they did eat, and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust. But while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them, and slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still, and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore their days did he consume in vanity, and their years in trouble. When he slew them, they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after God. And they remembered that God was their Rock, and the High God their Redeemer nevertheless they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues for their heart was not right with him Neither were they steadfast in his covenant But he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not yea many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath for he remembered that they were but flesh a wind that passeth away and cometh not again how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness, and grieve him in the desert! Yea, they turned back and tempted God, and limited the Holy One of Israel. Verse 9. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. Well equipped and furnished with the best weapons of the times, the leading tribe failed in faith and courage and retreated before the foe. There were several particular instances of this but probably the psalmist refers to the general failure of ephraim to lead the tribes to the conquest of canaan how often have we also though supplied with every gracious weapon failed to wage successful war against our sins we have marched onward gallantly enough till the testing hour has come and then in the day of battle we have proved false to good resolutions and holy obligations how altogether vain is unregenerate man Array him in the best that nature and grace can supply. He still remains a helpless coward in the holy war, so long as he lacks a loyal faith in his God. First 10 They kept not the covenant of God. Vows and promises were broken, idols were set up, and the living God was forsaken. They were brought out of Egypt in order to be a people separated unto the Lord, but they fell into the sins of other nations, and did not maintain a pure testimony, for the one only true God, and refused to walk in his law. They gave way to fornication and idolatry and other violations of the Decalogue, and were often in a state of rebellion against the benign theocracy under which they lived. They had pledged themselves at Sinai to keep the law, and they willfully disobeyed it, and so became covenant breakers. Verse 11. And forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them had they remembered them they would have been filled with gratitude and inspired with holy awe but the memory of god's mercies to them was as soon effaced as if written upon water scarcely could one generation retain the sense of the divine presence and miraculous power the succeeding race needed a renewal of the extraordinary manifestations and even them was not satisfied without many displays thereof ere we condemn them let us repent of our own wicked forgetfulness and confess the many occasions upon which we also have been unmindful of past favors verse 12 egypt here called the field of zawan was the scene of marvellous things which were done in open day in the sight of israel these were extraordinary upon a vast scale astounding indisputable and such as ought to have rendered it impossible for an israelite to be disloyal to Jehovah Israel's god verse thirteen he divided the sea and caused them to pass through a double wonder for when the waters were divided the bottom of the sea would naturally be in a very unfit state for the passage of so vast a host as that of israel it would in fact have been impassable had not the lord made the road for his people who else has ever led a nation through the sea Yet the lord has done this full often for his saints in providential deliverances making a highway for them where nothing short of an almighty arm could have done so and he made the waters to stand as a heap he forbade a drop to fall upon his chosen they felt no spray from the crystal walls on either hand fire will descend and water stand upright at the bidding of the lord of all the nature of creatures is not their own intrinsically but is retained or altered at the will of him who first created them the lord can cause those evils which threaten to overwhelm us to suspend their ordinary action and become innocuous to us verse fourteen in the daytime also he led them with a cloud he did it all he alone he brought them into the wilderness and led them through it it is not the lord's manner to begin a work and then cease from it while it is incomplete THE CLOUD BOTH LED AND SHADOWED THE TRIBES. IT WAS BY DAY A VAST SUNSCREEN, RENDERING THE FIERCE HEAT OF THE SUN AND THE GLARE OF THE DESERT SAND BEARABLE, AND ALL THE NIGHT WITH A LIGHT OF FIRE. SO CONSTANT WAS THE CARE OF THE GREAT SHEPHERD, THAT ALL NIGHT AND EVERY NIGHT THE TOKEN OF HIS PRESENCE WAS WITH HIS PEOPLE. THAT CLOUD WHICH WAS A SHADE BY DAY WAS A SUN BY NIGHT. EVEN THUS THE GRACE THAT COOLS AND CALMS OUR JOYS soothes, and solaces our sorrows. What a mercy to have a light of fire with us amid the lonely hours of the wilderness of affliction. Our God has been all this to us, and shall we prove unfaithful to Him? We have felt Him to be both shade and light, according as our changing circumstances have required. He hath been our joy in woe, cheered our heart when it was low, and with warnings softly sad calmed our heart when it was glad. May this frequently renewed experience knit our hearts to him in firmest bounds. Verse 15. He clave the rocks in the wilderness. Moses was the instrument, but the Lord did it all. Twice he made the flint a gushing rill. What can he not do? And gave them to drink as out of the great depths. As though it gushed from earth's innermost reservoirs, the streams were so fresh so copious, so constant, that they seem to well up from earth's primeval fountains, and to leap at once from the deep which coucheth beneath. Here was a divine supply for Israel's urgent need, and such a one as ought to have held them forever in unwavering fidelity to their wonder-working God. Verse 16. The supply of water was plenteous in quantity, as it was miraculous in origin. Torrents, not driblets, came from the rocks. Streams flowed in the camp. The supply of water was not for an hour or a day. This was a marvel of goodness. If we contemplate the aboundings of divine grace, we shall be lost in admiration. Mighty rivers of love have flowed for us in the wilderness. Alas, great God, our return has not been commensurate therewith, but far otherwise. Verse 17 And they sinned yet more against him. Outdoing former sins, going into greater depths of evil. The more they had, the more loudly they clamoured for more, and murmured because they had not every luxury that pampered appetites could desire. It was bad enough to mistrust their God for necessities, but to revolt against him in a greedy rage for superfluities was far worse. Ever is it the nature of the disease of sin to proceed from bad to worse. Men never weary of sinning, but rather increase their speed in the race of iniquity. In the case before us the goodness of god was abused to a reason for greater sin had not the lord been so good they would not have been so bad if he had wrought fewer miracles before they would not have been so inexcusable in their unbelief so wanton in their idolatry by provoking the most high in the wilderness although they were in a position of obvious dependence upon god for everything being in a desert where the soil could yield them no support, yet they were graceless enough to provoke their benefactor. At one time they provoked his jealousy by their hankering after false gods. Anon they excited his wrath by their challenges of his power, their slanders against his love, their rebellions against his will. He was all bounty of love, and they all superfluity of naughtiness. They were favored above all nations, and yet none were more ill-favored. For them the heavens dropped manna and they returned murmurs. The rock gave them rivers and they replied with floods of wickedness. Herein, as in a mirror, we see ourselves Israel in the wilderness acted out as in a drama all the story of man's conduct towards his god. Verse eighteen And they tempted god in their heart. He was not tempted for he cannot be tempted by any, but they acted in a manner calculated to tempt him. And it is always just to charge that upon man, which is the obvious tendency of their conduct. Christ cannot die again, and yet many crucify Him afresh, because such would be the legitimate result of their behavior if its effects were not prevented by other forces. The sinners in the wilderness would have had the Lord change His wise proceedings to humor their whims, hence they are said to tempt Him by asking meat for their lust. Would they have God become a purveyor for their greediness, was there nothing for it, but that he must give them whatever their diseased appetites might crave? The sin began in their hearts, but it soon reached their tongues. What they at first silently wished for, they soon loudly demanded with menaces, insinuations, and upbraidings. Verse 19 From this verse we learn that unbelief in God is a slander against him. Yea, they spake against God. But how? The answer is they said can god furnish a table in the wilderness to question the ability of one who is manifestly almighty is to speak against him those people were base enough to say that although their god had given them bread and water yet he could not properly order or furnish a table he could give them coarse food but could not prepare a feast properly arranged so they were ungrateful enough to declare as if the manna was a mere makeshift and the flowing rock stream a temporary expedient they ask to have a regularly furnished table, such as they had been accustomed to in Egypt. Alas, how we also quarreled with our mercies, and querulously pined for some imaginary good, counting our actual enjoyments to be nothing because they did not happen to be exactly conformed to our foolish fancies. They who will not be content will speak against providence, even when it daily loadeth them with benefits. Verse 20. Behold, he smote the rock, that the water gushed out and the streams overflowed. They admit what he had done, and yet, with superabundant folly and insolence, demand further proofs of his omnipotence. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? As if the manna were nothing, as if animal food alone was true nourishment for men. If they had argued, can he not give flesh? The argument would have been reasonable, but they ran into insanity when, having seen many marvels of omnipotence, they dared insinuate that other things were beyond the divine power. Yet in this also we have imitated their senseless conduct. Each new difficulty has excited fresh incredulity. We are still fools and slow of heart to believe our God, and this is a fault to be bemoaned with deepest penitence. For this cause the Lord is often wrath with us and chastens us sorely. For unbelief has in it a degree of provocation of the highest kind. Verse 21 Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. He was not indifferent to what they said. He dwelt among them in the holy place, and therefore they insulted him face to face. He did not hear a report of it, but the language itself came into his ears. So a fire was kindled against Jacob. The fire of his anger, which was also attended with literal burnings, and anger also came up against israel whether he viewed them in the lower or the higher light as jacob or as israel he was angry with them even as mere men they ought to have believed him and as chosen tribes their wicked unbelief was without excuse the lord doeth well to be angry at so ungrateful gratuitous and dastardly an insult as the questioning of his power verse 22 because they believed not in god and trusted not in his salvation this is the master sin the crying sin like jeroboam the son of nebat it sins and makes israel to sin it is in itself evil and the parent of evils it was this sin which shut israel out of canaan and it shuts myriads out of heaven god is ready to save combining power with willingness but rebellious man will not trust his saviour and therefore is condemned already in the text, it appears as if all Israel's other sins were as nothing compared to this. This is the peculiar spot which the Lord points at, the special provocation which angered him. From this, let every unbeliever learn to tremble more at his unbelief than at anything else. If he be no fornicator or thief or liar, let him reflect that it is quite enough to condemn him that he trusts not in God's salvation. Verse twenty three though he had commanded the clouds from above. Such a marvel ought to have rendered unbelief impossible. When clouds become granaries, seeing should be believing, and doubts should dissolve. And open the doors of heaven. The great storehouse doors were set wide open, and the corn of heaven poured out in heaps. Those who would not believe in such a case were hardened indeed. And yet our own position is very similar, for the Lord has wrought for us great deliverances, quite as memorable and undeniable. And yet suspicions and forebodings haunt us he might have shut the gates of hell upon us instead of which he has opened the doors of heaven shall we not both believe in him and magnify him for this verse 24 and had rained down manna upon them to eat there was so much of it the skies poured with food the clouds burst with provender it was fit food proper not for looking at but for eating they could eat it as they gathered it mysterious though it was so they called it manna or what is it yet it was eminently adapted for human nourishment and as it was both abundant and adapted so also was it available they had not far to fetch it it was nigh them and they had only to gather it up o lord jesus thou blessed manna of heaven how all this agrees with thee we will even now feed upon thee as our spiritual meat and will pray thee to chase away all wicked unbelief from us our fathers ate manna and doubted we feed upon thee and are filled with assurance and had given them of the corn of heaven this was all a gift without money and without price food which dropped from above and was of the best quality so as to be called heavenly corn was freely granted them the manna was round like coriander seed and hence was rightly called corn it did not rise from the earth, but descended from the clouds, and hence the words of the verse are literally accurate. The point to be noted is that this wonder of wonders left the beholders, and the feasters, as prone as ever to mistrust their Lord. Verse 25 Man did eat angels' food. The delicacies of kings were outdone, for the dainties of angels were supplied. Bread of the mighty ones fell on feeble man. Those who are lower than the angels fared as well it was not for the priests or the princes that the manna fell but for all the nation for every man woman and child in the camp and there was sufficient for them all for he sent them meat to the full god's banquets are never stinted he gives the best diet and plenty of it gospel provisions deserve every praise that we can heap upon them they are free full and preeminent they are of god's preparing sending and bestowing he is well fed whom god feeds heaven's meat is nourishing and plentiful if we have ever fed upon jesus we have tasted better than angels food for never did angels taste above redeeming grace and dying love it will be our wisdom to eat to the full of it for god has sent it that we are not straitened in him but in our own bowels happy pilgrims who in the desert have their meat sent from the lord's own palace above let them eat abundantly of the celestial banquet and magnify the all-sufficient grace which supplies all their needs, according to His riches in glory, by Christ Jesus. Verse 26. He Caused an East Wind to Blow in the Heaven He is Lord Paramount, above the Prince of the Power of the Air. Storms arise, and tempests blow at His command. Winds sleep till God arouses them, and then, like Samuel, each one answers, Here I am, for Thou didst call me. And by his power he brought in the south wind either these winds followed each other and so blew the birds in the desired direction or else they combined to form a southeast wind in either case they fulfilled the design of the lord and illustrated his supreme and universal power if one wind will not serve another shall and if need be they shall both blow at once we speak of fickle winds but their obedience to the lord is such that they deserve a better word if we ourselves were half as obedient as the winds, we should be far superior to what we are now. Verse 27 He rained flesh also upon them as dust. First he rained bread and then flesh, when he might have rained fire and brimstone. The words indicate the speed and the abundance of the descending quails. And feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. There was no counting them. By a remarkable providence, if not by miracle, enormous numbers of migratory birds were caused to alight around the tents of the tribes. It was, however, a doubtful blessing, as easily acquired and superabounding riches generally are. The Lord save us from meat which is seasoned with divine wrath. Verse 28. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp. They had no journey to make. They had clamored for flesh, and it almost flew into their mouths round about their habitations. This made them glad for the moment, but they knew not that mercies can be sent in anger, else had they trembled at the sight of the good things which they had lusted after. Verse 29. So they did eat and were well filled. They greedily devoured the birds even to repletion. The Lord showed them that he could provide flesh for his people, even enough and to spare. He also showed them that when lust wins its desire it is disappointed and by the way of satiety arrives at distaste first the food satiates then it nauseates for he gave them their own desire they were filled with their own ways the flesh meat was unhealthy for them but as they cried for it they had it and a curse with it O oh my god deny me my most urgent prayers sooner than answer them in displeasure Better hunger and thirst after righteousness than to be well filled with sin's dainties. Verses 30 and 31 They were not estranged from their lust. Lust grows upon that which it feeds on. If sick of too much flesh, yet men grow not weary of lust, they change the object and go on lusting still. When one sin is proved to be a bitterness, men do not desist, but pursue another iniquity. If, like Jehu, they turn from Baal, they fall to worshipping the calves of Bethel. But while the meat was yet in their mouths, before they could digest their coveted meat, it turned to their destruction. The wrath of God came upon them, before they could swallow their first meal of flesh. Short was the pleasure, sudden was the doom. The festival ended in a funeral. And slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. Perhaps these were the ringleaders in the lusting, they are the first in the punishment god's justice has no respect of persons the strong and the valiant fall as well as the weak and the mean what they ate on earth they digested in hell as many have done since how soon they died though they felt not the edge of the sword how terrible was the havoc though not amid the din of battle my soul see here the danger of gratified passions they are the janitors of hell when the lord's people hunger god loves them Lazarus is his beloved, though he pines upon crumbs. But when he fattens the wicked, he abhors them. dives is hated of heaven when he fares sumptuously every day. We must never dare to judge men's happiness by their tables. The heart is the place to look at. The poor starveling believer is more to be envied than the most full-fleshed of the favorites of the world. Better be God's dog than the devil's darling. Verse thirty-two. For all this they sinned still judgments move them no more than mercies they defy the wrath of god though death was in the cup of their iniquity yet they would not put it away but continued to quaff it as if it were a healthful potion how truly might these words be applied to ungodly men who have been often afflicted laid upon a sick-bed broken in spirit and impoverished in a state and yet have persisted in their evil ways unmoved by terrors unswayed by threatenings and believed not for his wondrous works. Their unbelief was chronic and incurable. Miracles both of mercy and judgment were unavailing. They might be made to wonder, but they could not be taught to believe. Continuance in sin and in unbelief go together. Had they believed, they would not have sinned, and had they not been blinded by sin, they would have believed. There is a reflex action between faith and character. How can the lover of sin believe? How, on the other hand, can the unbeliever cease from sin? God's ways with us in providence are in themselves both convincing and converting, but unrenewed nature refuses to be either convinced or converted by them. Verse 33 Therefore their days did he consume in vanity. Apart from faith, life is vanity. To wander up and down in the wilderness was a vain thing indeed, when unbelief had shut them out of the promised land. IT WAS MEET THAT THOSE WHO WOULD NOT LIVE TO ANSWER THE DIVINE PURPOSE BY BELIEVING AND OBEYING THEIR GOD SHOULD BE MADE TO LIVE TO NO PURPOSE, AND TO DIE BEFORE THEIR TIME, UNSATISFIED, UNBLESSED. THOSE WHO WASTED THEIR DAYS IN SIN HAD LITTLE CAUSE TO WONDER WHEN THE LORD CUT SHORT THEIR LIVES, AND SWORE THAT THEY SHOULD NEVER ENTER INTO THE REST WHICH THEY HAD DESPISED. AND THEIR YEARS IN TROUBLE. WEARY MARCHES WERE THEIR TROUBLE, AND TO COME TO NO RESTING PLACE WAS THEIR VANITY, Innumerable graves were left all along the track of Israel, and if any ask who slew all these, the answer must be, they could not enter in because of unbelief. Doubtless much of the vexation and failure of many lives results from their being sapped by unbelief and honeycombed by evil passions. None live so fruitlessly and so wretchedly as those who allow sense and sight to override faith, and their reason and appetite to domineer over their fear of God. Our days go fast enough according to the ordinary lapse of time, but the Lord can make them rust away at a bitterer rate till we feel as if sorrow actually ate out the heart of our life and like a canker devoured our existence. Such was the punishment of rebellious Israel. The Lord grant it may not be ours. Verse 34. When he slew them, then they sought him. Like whipped curs, they licked their master's feet they obeyed only so long as they felt the whip about their loins. Hard are the hearts which only death can move. While thousands died around them, the people of Israel became suddenly religious and repaired to the tabernacle door, like sheep who run in a mass while the black dog drives them, but scatter and wander when the shepherd whistles him off. And they returned and inquired early after God. They could not be too zealous. They were in hot haste to prove their loyalty to their divine king, the devil was sick and the devil a monk would be it would not be pious when the plague is abroad doors which were never so sanctified before put on the white cross then even reprobates send for the minister when they lie a-dying thus sinners pay involuntary homage to the power of right and the supremacy of god but their hypocritical homage is of small value in the sight of the great judge verse 35 and they remembered that god was their rock Sharp strokes awoke their sleepy memories. Reflection followed infliction. They were led to see that all their dependence must be placed upon their God, for He alone had been their shelter, their foundation, their fountain of supply, and their unchangeable friend. What could have made them forget this? Was it that their stomachs were so full of flesh that they had no space for ruminating upon spiritual things? And the High God, their Redeemer. They had forgotten this also. The high hand and outstretched arm— which redeemed them out of bondage, had both faded from their mental vision. Alas, poor man, how readily dost thou forget thy God! Shame on thee, ungrateful worm, to have no sense of favors a few days after they have been received. Will nothing make thee keep in memory the mercy of thy God except the other withdrawal of it? Verse 36. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth. Bad were they at their best false on their knees, liars in their prayers. Mouth-worship must be very detestable to God when dissociated from the heart. Other kings love flattery, but the king of kings abhors it. Since the sharpest afflictions only extort from carnal men a feigned submission to God, there is proof positive that the heart is desperately set on mischief, and that sin is ingrained in our very nature. If you beat a tiger with many stripes, you cannot turn him into a sheep. The devil cannot be whipped out of human nature." though another devil, namely hypocrisy, may be whipped into it. Piety produced by the damps of sorrow and the heats of terror is of mushroom growth. It is rapid in its upspringing. They inquired early after God, but it is a mere unsubstantial fungus of unabiding excitement. And they lied unto him with their tongues. Their godly speech was cant, their praise mere wind, their prayer a fraud— their skin-deep repentance was a film too thin to conceal the deadly wound of sin. This teaches us to place small reliance upon professions of repentance made by dying men, or upon such even in others, when the basis is evidently slavish fear and nothing more. A thief will whine out repentance if he thinks the judge will thereby be moved to let him go scot-free. Verse 37. For their heart was not right with him. There was no depth in their repentance, it was not hard work. They were fickle as a weathercock, every wind turned to them, their mind was not settled upon God. Neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Their promises were no sooner made than broken, as if only made in mockery. Good resolutions called at their hearts, as men do at inns, they tarried a while, and then took their leave. They were hot today for holiness, but cold towards it tomorrow. Variable as the hues of the dolphin, they change from reverence to rebellion, from thankfulness to murmuring. One day they gave their gold to build a tabernacle for Jehovah, and the next day they plucked off their earrings to make a golden calf. Surely the heart is a chameleon. Proteus had not so many changes. As in the ague, we both burn and freeze, so do inconstant natures in their religion. Verse 38 but he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not though they were full of flattery he was full of mercy and for this cause he had pity on them not because of their pitiful and hypocritical pretensions to penitence but because of his own real compassion for them he overlooked their provocations yea many a time he turned his anger away when he had grown angry with them he withdrew his displeasure even unto seventy times seven did he forgive their offences he was slow, very slow, to anger. The sword was uplifted and flashed in mid-air, but it was sheathed again, and the nation yet lived. Though not mentioned in the text, we know from the history that a mediator interposed the man Moses stood in the gap. Even so, at this hour the Lord Jesus pleads for sinners and averts the divine wrath. Many a barren tree is left standing because the dresser of the vineyard cries, Let it alone this year also, and did not stir up all his wrath had he done so, they must have perished in a moment. When his wrath is kindled, but a little men are burned up as chaff. But were he to let loose his indignation, the solid earth itself would melt, and hell would engulf every rebel. Who knoweth the power of thine anger, O Lord? We see the fulness of God's compassion, but we never see all his wrath. Verse 39. For he remembereth that they were but flesh. They were forgetful of God, but he was mindful of them. He knew that they were made of earthly, frail, corruptible material, and therefore he dealt leniently with them. Though, in this he saw no excuse for their sin, yet he constrained it into a reason for mercy. The Lord is ever ready to discover some plea or other upon which he may have compassion. A wind that passeth away, and cometh not again. Man is but a breath, gone never to return. Spirit and wind are in this alike, so far as our humanity is concerned. They pass and cannot be recalled. What a nothing is our life how gracious on the lord's part to make man's insignificance an argument for staying his wrath verse 40 how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness times enough did they rebel they were as constant in provocation as he was in his patience in our own case who can count his errors in what book could all our perverse rebellions be recorded the wilderness was a place of manifest dependence where the tribes were helpless without divine supplies yet they wounded the hand which fed them while it was in the act of feeding them is there no likeness between us and them does it bring no tears into our eyes while as in a glass see we our own selves and grieve him in the desert their provocation had an effect god was not insensible to them he is said to have been grieved his holiness could not find pleasure in their sin his justice in their unjust treatment or his truth in their falsehood. What must it be to grieve the Lord of love? Yet we also have vexed the Holy Spirit, and he would long ago have withdrawn himself from us, were it not that he is God and not man. We are in the desert where we need our God. Let us not make it a wilderness of sin by grieving him. Verse 41 Yea, they turned back. Their hearts sighed for Egypt and its flesh pots. They turned to their old ways again and again, after they had been scourged out of them. Full of twists and turns, they never kept the straight path. And tempted God. As far as in them lay, they tempted Him. His ways were good, and they, in desiring to have them altered, tempted God. Before they would believe in Him, they demanded signs, defying the Lord to do this and that, and acting as if He could be cajoled into being the minion of their lusts. What blasphemy was this? Yet let us not tempt Christ, lest we also be destroyed by the destroyer. And limited the Holy One of Israel. Doubted his power and so limited him. Dictated to his wisdom and so did the same. To chalk out a path for God is arrogant impiety. The Holy One must do right. The covenant God of Israel must be true. It is profanity itself to say unto him, Thou shalt do this or that or otherwise I will not worship thee. Not thus is the eternal God to be led by a string by his impotent creature. He is the Lord, and he will do as seemeth him good. End of Psalm 78, Part 1